Alrighty, well, you've prayed, so we're going to just jump straight into this. We're going to be looking at Numbers 13 and 14. I'll go through the story with you in a second. But before we do that, I want to tell you about my crazy friend. All right? I don't know if you've got a crazy friend, but I do, and he's a nutcase. He's crazy. Sometimes I'm just thinking, like, what are you even doing? He's pretty embarrassing to be around at times. And I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? And this one time, right, we're at Avoca. Okay, some of you know Avoca. And the surf was huge. He's just got out, out of the water. And so we go up to the rocks to have a bit of a better look. I don't know if you know mugs where the kids jump off in Australia Day. They put trampolines there and phew, how fun's this? All right, so we're at mugs. We're kind of safe, but there's these big waves just rolling in. If you know where slide is, it's like this lower kind of rock platform. And all these waves are just whoosh just washing up like and it was big and I'm in awe I'm just like wow that's pretty insane what's going on there but my mate he's like oh this is hectic so he goes down and before you know it he's in the water and I'm like dude what are you doing this is crazy get back because I'm seeing these waves come back I'm like man get back get back and these waves are getting closer he's just kind of dawdling around and I I, I I was legitimately freaking out because I was worried about him and these waves are actually coming for him. And I'm like, dude, get back. And so he just waltzes on in, coming on in. And he does. He gets up, he gets back up onto this higher rock platform, but these waves just... Again. And I'm just kind of like pointing. I'm like, dude. And he's like... <laughs> But that was kind of his response. And I was frustrated because it was just dumb. And this passage tonight, as I read it, they're a crazy bunch of people and they can just be straight up dumb. And I've been reading this story and at times I've just felt a little bit like what I felt with my mate. A bit kind of ticked off potentially because these people are crazy. So... I don't know if you know much about these Israelites, but we're jumping into a small part of a big story. And these Israelites have an incredible, an incredible story. God saved them from slavery. Continuously, they see the goodness of God. The kind of slavery they're in isn't like the slavery your teacher kind of puts you in at school. It was legit. They built cities on empty stomachs. Now, God is coming through with these promises for these people. He saved them out of their land and he's bringing them to this land that he promised to them ages ago. So there's some, oh, sorry, bags going around in case you were wondering. So, you're all right. I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Is my stage on fire or something? But it's all good. All right, so God is bringing them out of Egypt into this land that he promised in Genesis 12. It was ages ago. And so that's what he's doing. And God said to this one guy, Abraham, you might have seen it in G-Teams last week, that this one bloke would become a huge nation. He was going to bless them. And he was going to give them an epic land to live in. And that's what's happening in tonight's passage. God's brought them out of Egypt and he's bringing them to this land. And they're on the doorstep of centuries of expectation. So if you look at chapter 13, verse 2 of Numbers Keep this open because we'll be chilling out here for a while. Send some men to explore the land. So God said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. 
which I am giving to the Israelites. It's going to be yours. So from verses 4 to 16, you can see Moses kind of get this 007 spy team together. They're going to be checking out this land. And so from 16 or 17 to 25, sorry, there's something was going with my mind. From 17 to 25, you can see that what their mission is. So they're going to check out this land. Is something happening or is it just me? Okay, okay, sorry. I'm just hearing stuff. It's like a ghost or something. That's all right. Okay. So <laughs> they're, they're going to go check out this land. So Moses gives them a bit of a job. Check out these parts. Check out those parts. Tell us if the land's good. And so they come back. Verse 26, they come back to the rest of the people and they deliver the verdict. Have a look at what they say in verse 27. We went into the land you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here, check out this fruit. Probably some tasty mangoes or something like that. But the spies say this is mission impossible. Verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, Anak there. This is where things start going pear-shaped. They see a powerful people, descendants of Anak, which just means tall, right? So imagine like barrel mixed with Ross. It kind of makes you pee your pants when you see this. So they don't really want a bar of what's going on here. So verse chapter 14, verse 2, because they're scared, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Why, God? Why are you leading us this land to kill us? And this is when I start thinking, are these people serious? They've forgotten how bad the slavery was. They've forgotten how God saved them. They try and get a leader to take them back to Egypt. They've forgotten their God. And if you look at verse 7, chapter 14, verse 7, you see it more, a little bit down there. The lamb we pass through, this is Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies. They say, just, let's just have some perspective here for a second. The lamb we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. They should have known better, these people. God is with them, so what could stand against? So do they listen? No, they want to stone them. So things start stepping up a gear. And before they start killing each other, God shows up. So if you have a look at verse 11 there. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? If you get frustrated reading this like me, imagine what God's feeling like. So I've got pretty huge respect for like nurses and paramedics. Kind of helps that my wife is one of them. But their job is literally just, I'll help you. Regardless of the mess 
even if you're faking some kind of sickness so you can get some drugs from the hospital, even if you're abusing me for trying to save your life, even if you're abusing our healthcare system, which is free in our country, even if you couldn't give us stuff about your own health. Tough gig, I reckon. And so in return, what do you get? Well, from some of these people, just no recognition. Instead, they just walk away, or worse, treat you like garbage. But what these people are doing is infinitely worse to God. Here is God who gives them life and has done everything for them, yet they don't want a bar of him. So God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? So then God punishes their rebellion. Have a look in verse 27. The people get what they ask for. They aren't going to the land. They will die without seeing God come through with his promise. Verse 37 is pretty hectic. The spies who spread the bad report, they die of a plague. But even though they're punished, these Israelites, God is still gracious. He could have struck them all dead, but he doesn't. If you see verse 20, the Lord replies to Moses, I have forgiven them. That's kind of the base of our story tonight that we're looking at this event in history that happens. And there's two things that kind of just come jumping at me like a jack-in-the-box. One of them, the first one, you just can't miss. It's this. Israel are Fruit Loops. You can't miss it. They're crazy. They had every reason to believe in God, but they didn't. Instead of trusting God, chapter 14, 2, all the Israelites grumbled. Verse 3, Why is the Lord bringing into this land to let us fall by the sword? They are stupid. Stupid because they don't believe God can come through with his word. It was these very people that were enslaved in Egypt. It was these Israelites that saw the plagues on the people who sought to destroy them. It was these people who saw God split a sea in half and walked through it. It was these people that saw water being provided from a rock. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw quail come for food. They had a cloud above their campsite. And the cloud turns to fire at night. Hello, Israel. Do you get it? God is with you. He's for you. He's fulfilling his promise. But they just don't believe it. Look again at why God's so frustrated. So 14.11, we read it before, but see God's frustration. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long... Will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? So the heart of Israel's disobedience, the thing that's frustrating God, is that they don't trust the trustworthy God. And what a slap in the face that is. It's pretty harsh when people can't trust you. Maybe it's a secret or a responsibility And when people can't trust you, it kind of hurts because it attacks our character and our integrity. So I have to carry two sets of keys around, right? Oh, gee, this is going to be difficult. I forgot that there'd be a mic thing in that pocket. All right, there's my school keys, right? And these are my car keys. Okay. He's trying to think, why don't I just carry one set of keys around? That'd be so much better. Less things to carry. Well, the reason I can't do that it's because some little piece of work, one day he might be like, Oh, sir, can I borrow keys? And I'll just be like, Why? 
He'll be like, oh, because I left my jacket in Mrs. Room. And I'll just be like, all right, here's the keys. Go get the jacket and bring him back. And next minute, he's fanging down in my car, and then my, tree is wrapped, my car is wrapped around a tree, all right? So that's why separate. Okay. I can't trust these little beautiful children that they are, okay? But that is how Israel is treating God. Like a kid who can't be trusted. What an attack on the character of God. Israel of Fruit Loops. But the thing that kills me and the thing that's been drilling at my heart while studying these verses, these people are a muddy mess, but they're the clearest mirror. I'm just like them. The way I treat God shows that I'm crazier than my mate that jumped into that ocean. I'm a fruit loop and I think we're all in the same boat. So come over to Hebrews chapter 3 with me. I'm going to grab a drink of water. So Hebrews chapter 3. I'll tell you while we're going there in a second. It's water. All right, Hebrews chapter 3. So this is the New Testament, so after Jesus, and the writer of Hebrews is taking this passage and applying it to Christians. He's showing us this story in Numbers, and he's taking it and applying it to us. And so what he has... Gee, it's going to take me a little while to get there. I should have put my thing there. Anyway. Yeah, sorry, everybody. All right, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. So he's applying this story to us, to Christians. And he says this, So, as the Holy Spirit says, I just want you to pause there for a second, but this word that he's quoting from the Old Testament, he's about to quote from the Old Testament. So why doesn't he say, as the Holy Spirit said? He says, as the Holy Spirit says. Well, it's because it's a word not only written in the past thousands of years ago, but it's also a word given by God right now. So even as I read this, I'm about to read it, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through a word that was written thousands of years ago. And that's the same for the rest of the Bible, but it's just a helpful thing for us to see here. And so as the Holy Spirit says, keep following with me, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. That's talking about the time that we've just read about in Numbers. So when you hear God's word, he's saying, he's warning us, remember them and be warned. Trust God. He's good and he, he's God and he's good and so you can trust his word. Come down to verse 12 with me. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So as the writer of Hebrews applies this passage, I'm entangled. As the writer of Hebrews applies this passage for us, he warns us that we don't have an unbelieving heart that turns away from God. So don't let sin harden your heart is what it's saying. So why is sin such a big deal? Well, our sin says, every time we sin, 
we say to God, you've got it wrong. I know better. I'm not trusting your word because you can't be trusted. We do exactly what Israel did. We say, yeah, I know God says don't lie, but if I don't lie in this situation, it's going to just turn into an absolute mess. I have to. Sorry, God, my plan's a bit better than yours. Or maybe it's God says don't have sex till marriage, but, you know, he said that a long time ago. Does he understand our culture? Does he see what's around us today? He mustn't know how much we love each other. He mustn't know that one day we're going to be married anyway. He does know. He actually made you. He made this world. He does know and he knows best. And when we sin, we're saying, God, you can't be trusted. How could we slap God in the face like that? Do we just turn a blind eye to our sin? Are we heeding this warning? The sin hardens hearts towards God. If we don't fight sin, the danger is that we would turn away from the living God, as this verse says. And that's tragic. I don't know if you know people who have started seeming, well, they've started seeming like they have a genuine salvation, they trust Jesus, but, and they come to you if they get involved in things like that, but then they stop fighting sin, they don't deal with their doubt, they don't keep trust in God with the everyday little things, and eventually... They stop trusting God with the big things too. And it's tragic when it happens. So are we taking our sins seriously individually? But Hebrews doesn't stop there. If you have a look at verse 13 with me again. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's not just a warning for us individually. It's a warning for us together. So do you care about the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters? This verse is saying, look around you. Do you care for them? Are you concerned for those people? Do we speak up when the danger signs go off? When they start tuning someone who doesn't trust Jesus, when they start acting a little bit different at school, are we there for each other when life gets tough? Are we there to show God's love when a family member passes? Or when relationships break down, do we pray for each, for each other and with each other? Do we worry when people were talking about that Netflix series? Um, when they keep talking about Game of Thrones, do we check up on each other then? When we have doubts, do we remind each other to look to Jesus who assures us that God is good and he can be trusted? The story of Israel in the wilderness is a warning for us together to have each, other back, each other's back. Well, that's what Hebrews is saying here. So Israel are crazy for not trusting God. When we sin, we do the same thing. So be warned individually, be warned together. There's too much at stake to turn a blind eye to our own sin and to turn a blind eye to the danger signs we see in each other. We need to see ourselves in this passage and see the ugliness of our hearts, our sin, our distrust of God. And all of that is crazy because God is so trustworthy. Come back to numbers with me. This time I'm going to be straight there. 
All right, chapter 14, verse 7. Hopefully, you kept, I should have told you to keep a finger in it. So chapter 14, verse 17. Sorry, not 7. Now I'm there. This is um, back in Moses. Oh, sorry, back in Numbers. And Moses is pleading with God. So we're going to zoom in on that plea and what he says. And let's just see the character of God on showcase here. So, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. He is just, but in accordance with your great love, says Moses, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. These verses show us the richness and goodness and faithfulness and unconditional love of God for his people. As deep as the darkness of Israel's heart is towards God, God's faithfulness runs deeper. The story of God and his people is like the world's greatest brother. Sorry, I got that wrong. This this will explain itself in the story. But the world's greatest sister and the worst brother, when you might figure out who that story is about in a second. But one day, my sister annoyed me. And I I was kind of little, I don't know, 15 or something. And I was annoyed at her. And so I had this like comb thing that had a spike. And I was like, no, I didn't stab her. But... (laughs) The day before was her birthday and she got this like blow up lounge and I just went pop and she was shattered. But she annoyed me. I think she was trying to cuddle me so I unleashed my fury, right? <laughs> so often though throughout my childhood, my sister was so good to me and I responded with hate. That would suck for her but it just shows how good a sister she was. Because she just kept loving me. And the craziness of Israel and us reminds us of how good and incredible God is. God wants to be with his people. He created us to be with him. But our sin wrecked it. We've broken it. And all through Israel's history, the story of these people, God remains faithful to his promise that he didn't even have to make. He promises good to a sinful people He didn't have to do that. He could have wiped this people out completely, instantly. But he doesn't. And God blesses them again and again and he's with them. And we'll see that in Numbers, how God continually blesses them. But Israel, again and again, turn their back on him. Their hearts are hard towards God. And so God actually promises to deal with the problem, the root of the cause, to deal with their heart. In Jesus, he doesn't just forgive sin. He doesn't just declare us holy in God's sight. He actually makes a new way to relate with God. So those promises I mentioned back to Abraham, all of them are met in Jesus. All of them are fulfilled in Jesus. In Jesus, the curse of sin is broken so that God can dwell with his people. If you trust in Jesus, his spirit lives in you, and one day we wait for the reality where we'll see him face to face. 
the land of Canaan, well, that verse in Hebrews 3 and 4, if you read those chapters later, it says that that land is just a shadow of the rest we'll have in heaven with God in eternity. Jesus made that possible. So when Jesus returns, that'll happen. He didn't have to make those promises, though. And he kept them for the sake of the world, knowing how flippin' awesome he is. How good is our God? So if you're someone here tonight who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I really just want you to see this verse. So maybe you haven't done this kind of thing before. I want you to see this verse and perhaps you're someone who might be giving God the cold shelter lately and might not be fighting your sin and you might not want to. Have a look at 14 verse 11 with me and see God's heart for us to turn back to him. How long... Will they treat, these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? He's wanting them to come back. It's not the cry of a desperate loner, but it's the desperate cry of your loving father. Come home to him. Don't put this off. Don't keep hardening your heart until you don't want to repent. Come home because God is good. You can trust Jesus to deal with your sin. You can be right with God because of Jesus. And I don't know what's going on in your life if you're a Christian here tonight, but for a group this big, there's always going to be some serious pain. Um, But no matter what is going on, you can trust God. You can because God didn't even hold back his own son. He didn't hold back him from hanging and bleeding on a cross. He didn't shy away from taking the punishment that we deserve. If he did that for us, how can we doubt that he isn't good? How can we doubt that he's good? So preach that to yourself in the hard times. Romans 8, 28 is great for that. That has held me firm in storms that have happened in life. You can trust God. The other thing though is we're not always going to do this perfectly and we put ourselves into a mess when we don't trust God. Like the Israelites, they actually could have had it all. If they just trusted God, the land would have been theirs. They would have just waltzed on in there. They would have seen God work miraculously to fight their battles and to work miracles in order to see a weak nation take over a powerful people. Are we forgetting, like the Israelites did, what we have? And particularly on this side of the cross, what we have in Christ Do we turn aside from God to the fleeting things of this world? Do we trade in treasure for trash? And no doubt we put ourselves in a mess when we do that. Look again with me at chapter 13, verse 31. There's a problem here with what the Israelites is doing, thinking. So 1331 of Numbers. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. So what do you notice about what they, why they didn't want to go? Well, they're focused on their own power, their own strength. They're worried about their strength. It's like they're scared to go to war, forgetting that they've got this like invincibility armor on. Or they're worried about these people with water pistols when they've got a bazooka, okay? They've forgotten God. Who cares about their strength? It's God. And you can see that when you see what Joseph and Caleb said in verse 8. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. 
It matters where you put your trust. And there's one way you don't want to get that wrong, and it's for your salvation. There is only one way, only one way to trust in Jesus. The story of the Old Testament is that despite all of God's blessing for a people, they cannot earn their way to God, and neither can you. You will crush yourself if you try to earn God's favor, if you worry about your own effort to get you there. And why would we bother? In Jesus, we have it. God has sent him to us. We can have full assurance of being with God, not enemies, but we can call him Father. Would we trust Jesus to be right with God? We have it. And I don't know how you've experienced this, but I catch myself feeling sometimes too guilty to come before God. Sometimes for me, this shows in the way I act and think. I trust myself instead of trusting God. And so sometimes I might feel too guilty to come before God. I can struggle sometimes with assurance because I might look around and see people giving themselves in ministry more than me. They have more disciplined lives. They are doing more ministry. They're reading their Bible more. They're praying for their friends. They're evangelizing like crazy. And sometimes the story that should bank me encouraged makes me overwhelmed. And I think I'm inadequate. Because it's good to want to grow and it's good to want to be mature and be spurred on by those stories. But sometimes I get thinking, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not like that? And I don't know if you're in a similar boat to this sometimes. It's not always, but sometimes if you're a Christian here, you might feel, why don't I have that urgency of the gospel? Why don't I evangelize like them? Why don't I love God like they do? All these insecurities tell me that I need to realign my trust. I need to stop trusting my performance to feel good about myself because I actually suck. When your trust is in Jesus, you can live in the freedom of acceptance from God. Those anxieties, the deep, dark depression, the stuff we, and the frustration we feel about ourselves. In those moments, don't forget that God's acceptance of you is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And when you've come to that place of dependence of God, then he is in the business of molding us to be more like Jesus. Yes, we're going to be discontent with our sin. We're going to want to be more and more like Jesus. We're going to be spurred on by one another. But remember, that's not why God accepts you. It's because of Jesus. So make sure, like in this story here, we need to put our trust in the right place. So is your trust and your hope in the secure foundation of Christ. He's where we're crazy, and so are we. We need to trust the trustworthy God who freely gave us Christ to open the door for us to come home to him.